How's it going, everybody? My name is Austin, and I'm with Apostles Attic, which is a Christ-centered clothing line. You can go ahead and check me out there. And I'm with my friend Ryan. Hello, everybody. My name is Ryan, and I'm with AIIW.org. Thanks for joining us today. All right. Um, so I wanted to open up each episode with the gospel message. And essentially, the gospel is the good news. And the good news is that God stepped into his creation and paid for the sins of the world through the person of Jesus Christ. And if we have faith in him and faith in what he's done, we will go to paradise as he put it on the cross. And so those those few bullet points are that Jesus is God, that he paid for the sins of the world through his sacrifice on the cross, and that his sacrifice on the cross was accepted through evidence of his resurrection three days later, and that's why we celebrate Easter. And so if we have faith in that Jesus is God and he paid for our sins and, and he rose three days later, we have a promise from God that we will go to heaven and eternally exist with him in, in paradise. And so I urge everybody to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and yeah, and you will you have a promise from God that you will go to heaven. And so, yeah, that's what I wanted to, to kind of share with everybody. Amen. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Uh, I know that we talk about the Bible and talk about God in, in every episode, but we don't always say that directly. But uh, I think that it's important that people know what the gospel message is, that Jesus Christ loves them, uh, that he died for them and wants to see them in heaven with him forever. And that unfortunately, because of our sin, that can't happen. And that's uh, that's just beautiful. You know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that, that Jesus did for us, that that God would sacrifice his son as well and that the Holy Spirit would come and convict us of our sins. Right. It's, it's, that's, that's our, that's our faith, you know, the basics Amen. of it. <laughs> All right. And we also wanted to start off our episodes with segments and begin doing that on our podcast. And one of the things I thought was super interesting is there's this group called the Pacific justice Institute, and they basically deal with and cover legal matters that have to do with our country and, our faith and Christianity and different things of that nature. And so I wanted to go ahead and cover a story from Pacific Justice Institute. Okay, uh, so we're we going to watch that right now? Yeah, so let's go ahead on over to that page. And okay. that would be the PGI Ways In on Texas Ten Commandments Bill. So I'm gonna mm. go ahead and, and read here. Let me know when you're ready for me to read. Oh, you're gonna read? Sorry. <laughs> so we're, okay. we're gonna read that brief thing before the video and then we'll go ahead and watch the video okay so let me pull that up i thought we were watching it. yeah i thought we were just watching the video so little my fault there no you're good you're good okay you can just, uh, um, media us, really. in the news or no what was it was it press uh releases. press releases thank you mm -hmm. and then pgi weighs in on texas 10 commandments bill there we go. Perfect. Okay. All cool. Right. <clears throat> that should be so, up. Let me know when you're ready for me to read. Yeah, we're ready. All right. The state of Texas is considering a bill that would require public schools to display the Ten Commandments in every classroom. On April 5th, the president of Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, spoke in support of SB 1515 to the State Senate's Committee on Education. SB 1515 was sponsored by Senator, State Senator Phil King. It would require the state's 
public elementary and secondary schools to display the Ten Commandments in each classroom as part of America's history, tradition, and the origins of American law. These types of displays were once traditional and accepted as an expression of religious liberty. Organizations were permitted to distribute copies of the Ten Commandments to school groups. This practice was restricted in 1980 when the court applied what has become known as the Lemon Test. But the Supreme Court's decision in Kennedy versus Bremerton School District in 2022 marked a notable shift in and once again permitted government displays of religious content as long as it comports with America's history and tradition. And speaking of in speaking to the Texas Senate Committee on Education, Brad Dacus said the Ten Commandments and the posting of the Ten Commandments is an acknowledgement of our history and our heritage, not just generally, but of American law itself. You can trace the origins of American law from bankruptcy law to criminal law to tort law to family law back to the Ten Commandments and their history. He went on to say, our youth today need to understand our truth. They need to understand our nation and where it, and where we came to prevent them from knowing our history leaves them handicapped in understanding where we should go and how we should get there. Following Mr. Dacus' testimony, SB 1515 was passed by the Texas Senate and is now pending the state's house for consideration. All right. And so one thing I wanted to comment about this, Ryan, um, was right now there's a lot of stuff um, from like, I would say, left-leaning policies they're 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 trying to talk to kids and about i would say left policy and just like left political stuff like i'll just you know say like sex gender different things mm -hmm. of that nature are being discussed to young students and it's it's weird because that that to me is a worldview if you don't believe in god that's a worldview um if you believe in all these other things that's a worldview right and you're presenting that to kids while simultaneously not wanting the other side of that to present their their issues and their points to kids so i i find it nice to see um religious stuff coming back into the schools um what is what is your take on that ryan so my take on this, uh, number one, I don't believe that people should be sending their children to public schools. I think that they're a great public harm and that they have done nothing but degrade the value of our education and degrade the, the value of the, of the citizens that come out of that education. You know, we aren't told or taught how to do our taxes. We aren't told or taught how to manage our lives in, in public school. We're taught all this nonsense, most of which we don't know. And, and the whole purpose behind public education is so that the government has a chance to indoctrinate your children. The whole entire framework of, of K-12 through education is, is based around a bunch of theories that didn't pan out. So I don't believe kids should be in public schools at all I, for the very reasons that you stated. I think that there is no way to have a viewpoint neutral education. There's always going to be something that somebody is going to be indoctrinating your children into. And parents should have 100% control over what that indoctrination is. If they want to do it at home around their kitchen table and they, and they want to teach their own children, great. If you want to send somebody to go pay them at a uh, mathnasium type institution and, and it's literally a storefront and your kid goes and learns math, at a storefront, that's great too. Uh, I've worked uh, in the homeschooling uh, industry and gone to different places that are called learning centers and uh, 
different places where churches open up their doors and allow third-party vendors like myself to go in and teach as well. And so there's so many other opportunities to educate your children today that don't involve the public schools that I just, I don't see any any reason how it's even conscionable at this point to allow your children into those vile institutions. Um, yeah, so you're kind of suggesting that parents as a whole should just educate their children at home? Uh, either at home, uh, at their church, right? So it doesn't, it, homeschooling doesn't have to be like literally at my home. The, the woman's chained to the kitchen. She doesn't leave all day. And, you know, like that's not what homeschooling should be. In my opinion, homeschooling should be one of the days of the week, the kid goes to work with dad and goes and finds out what it's like to be in an office, finds ways he, he or she can help out at the office, helping dad with paperwork or doing some menial task, right? It used to be that the way that you were educated was, was apprenticeship. So uh, in the Bible, it said that Jesus was a carpenter. At no point do we ever see Jesus in a scene in the Bible actually doing carpentry. What we do know is that his father was a carpenter and actually did do a lot of carpentry and that what happened was, by definition, the child would go to work for their dad as an apprentice and learn all of those skills as well. So Jesus wasn't a carpenter in his work life, you know, a a after 30 years old, but he had those skills had those and was skills. called a carpenter because his dad did. And so that's what education should be. Education should be from the family and, you know, furthering the knowledge that you've gained, right? So that that's my opinion on education. Now, specifically with this bill, I think it's great. You know, there is no reason why the government can't have religious symbols and iconography in the, in the classroom or wherever the government wants to put it. Because the, the First Amendment is not a bar on the on religion uh being in the government it's a bar on the government affecting an establishment of religion and so the, the people throw around that term separation of church and mm -hmm. state and it's really protection for the church not for the state like, exactly so it's, it's really funny yep and so if the voters all decide that we want to put a, a ten commandment statue wherever we want to put a ten commandment statue that's public land that should be completely okay. Now, that would also mean that if there's a county that decides to put up a statue to Buddha, I don't think that there's anything that the government can do to stop that. So, you know, this is a, a double-edged sword that, that Christians are playing with in a certain way because we could come upon a society in 50 years where it's all Buddha statues and, and no Ten Commandments anymore. Well, look, we, we kind of... In that in that regard, the world's gonna be the world and do the world, right? So we're we're gonna have to be beacons of light and be the salt of the earth. And even if we're one, you know, church in a sea of Buddhist temples, we're gonna have to. That's gonna have to be the framework that we play in. Because if if you don't, then you're just inviting issues. You know what I mean? Like yeah, <laughs> of course. And and as Christians, we can we can exist in any society. We don't have to dictate what the government is. You know. Christianity started under a pagan society of, you know, right? It didn't just start as the majority. And so, uh, and by start in a pagan society, I'm talking about Rome, Abraham? obviously not, uh, oh. not, not, uh, <laughs> Judaism, though we could have a discussion on that. But, uh, so, you know, it, it, it's a, it's something that, that Christians need to be involved in the government and we need to be putting forth our ideas 
and we need to make sure that the good ideas in the Bible are the ones that went out over all the bad ideas that are found elsewhere. That's can I can I yeah ask you what kind of ideas so so like so people aren't kind of like back against the wall about the idea of Christians being in um, the government because they think immediately that we're just gonna like put a bunch of rules on everything because that's what they think about it anyway. So like okay so you're a, you're a Christian right? So mm -hmm. let's say today you're you become a senator. What kind of stuff would you want to do? Um you know government. What would you want to see done in government? from a christian perspective uh you know uh, it's gonna it's gonna sound it's going to sound like i'm starting off by saying that you can't do something immediately but uh, you know it is such a heinous crime against humanity that the first thing that i would do if i if i had any amount of power at all is i'd have to fight for a fight against abortion it's a it's a complete and total uh uh it's completely unjust, right? It, it's murdering human beings. So that's that's one that thing. Look like how yeah, that yeah. manifests itself. You know, if if I was a senator, I'd be putting in bills every single day. <laughs> that would, the, you know, and I'd be going around and I'd be I'd be talking to all the pro life senators and being like, so why aren't you voting on my bill? And you know, you go around and and you, uh, you know, you, you shame people into doing things. You can shame people ah. as a senator. <laughs> You know, okay, just so, be vo very vocal about it. Okay, so let's say somebody's trying to... Um, I'm going to throw you a bone here. Okay, so <laughs> somebody's in your state, and they're female. Abortion just got, um, um, you know, banned, right? And so mm -hmm. now they get pregnant. And so they're just trying to figure out what the, what the state's prescription is for me not... Like, the female not wanting the child, but abortion is outlawed. So you Christian senator that just banned abortion, what what are you what do you su suggest for said pregnant female that does not want her child in your state? Yeah, so uh, she won't be able to kill it if it's up to me, but I'm okay. You know, there's nothing wrong with a, a mother who's not capable of taking care of her child or doesn't want to take care of her child with putting it up for adoption. And the the biggest misconception in this country is that there is an adoption problem for infants. So, so yes, there are there are tons of people that are in the foster care system, and I'm sure there are even a few infants. But the the fact is that for the most part, infants are adopted almost immediately. And so, as long as you know that you don't want the child, you you bring the child to term, you you have the birth, and then you can give the child up for adoption, and it's almost guaranteed to go to a loving and caring family that wants to have the child to take care of that. To take care of him or her. you could even vet the people, right? I'm yep. <laughs> I you could do interviews so, and talk to people. And... So I, I, I've actually experienced the lack of infants availability firsthand. So at my church, there was a family that went over to China and had to go find an infant in China to adopt because there's no infants in the United States to adopt. It's that impossible to adopt infants in the United like States. They were looking for like a one-month-old? Yeah, they were they were looking for so, unfortunately, there the the reasons why older children are in foster care make them uh, make them make it hard for families to adopt them, and and what I'm saying is that a lot of the children uh, that are older than infants, the reason they're there is because their family wasn't capable of keeping them, and so there's a whole host of uh, issues that those children might have. And so there's a lot of parents that are prejudiced against foster care children that are older than infants because they're going to have these problems and they're not going to be able to uh, take care of them adequately in their opinion. So I'm not agreeing with this and saying that that's not an issue. Of course that's an issue. 
but that's not an issue that uh, abortion doesn't solve the foster care problem. We still have children in foster care because the mother wanted the child at the time and then through different family situations couldn't keep the child, couldn't take care of the child, was abusive to the child, you know, all, all these horrible things. And so those are their own separate problem that abortion has nothing to do with. Okay. And, and so right. that's, yeah, so basically there's no infants available to adopt in this country. It, what I'm gathering it, yeah. from what you're saying is there would be a line out the wazoo if you said, hey, I'm a birth a child and it's not even born yet and I'm not going to want that. And so I imagine you could meet with people, literally go inside their house, see where the where their kid, your child would grow up. And it, it's, it, I think that's, that's the world that we should live in is mm -hmm. a world where we're having our babies. And it's, it's not like you should, it's one of those things. Cause like, if you just get, I think if you, as a, if you can get over that hurdle of, okay, I'm, um, I'm somebody who believes in abortion and, and pro-choice, right? Um, not me personally, I just, but mm -hmm. yeah, let's yeah. Have to get over that hurdle. Right. And it's like, okay, so I'm, I'm now a month too pregnant. If I, I believe if you can go and get an ultrasound and, and see your baby and you just understand that it might look just like you and it might, it's <laughs> so crazy. Like, like, oh man, like I personally look like a carbon copy of my dad. And mm -hmm. I'm his youngest kid, right? So it's it's just really interesting, but um, yeah. Well, it's, and it's... you know, I I find it funny, not funny. It's it's in it's crazy that uh, the first thing that Planned Parenthood got rid of in their procedures was ultrasounds. Like the last thing that Planned Parenthood ever wants you to have is an ultrasound, and it's because the second you see that child, because it's not it, like fetus doesn't mean clump of cells in Latin or anything. You're disconnected uh, until you see mm -hmm. it. Yep. A lot of people are. I, I think I, I couldn't possibly understand what it is to be a woman, but I think a lot of women are just by definition connected to their child because it's the child is inside of them. Uh, but there's, for those women who aren't or for those women that that could think of murdering their ch their child, seeing it, you know, seeing an actual picture of them definitely makes a big difference. Yeah, I would 100% say if you saw an ultrasound, I think like 90% of people like opt out of their initial choice to have an abortion. So it's it's, it's a it's um, a huge number of people that when they yeah, see it, yeah. they they end up changing their mind. And it's because it becomes like you said, it becomes real. It's your child. You can see the nose and the cheeks and, you know, you start thinking fingers. about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, yep. That. Well, I think that <laughs> Sorry, we include our little uh, our segment here. That was a real, that was a lot of fun, though. Yeah, it was. That was great. It kind of went uh, took a left turn there uh, with some of your questions, but I, I liked that. And uh, yeah, you know, that's that's how I feel about abortion. I think it's evil and wrong, and it's murdering a baby. Just to be completely clear. <laughs> yeah. Hot take. Hot take. Um, short incoming. You know. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, all right, so we're going to continue our story in Genesis, and we're going to pick up in the story, or in chapter 37 of Genesis, and this is kind of starting the story of um, Joseph, and Joseph, I think he's born in chapter 31, but then nothing is said for like several chapters until we get to, you know, chapter 37, mm -hmm. and so <clears throat> in chapter 37, um, Joseph is the favored son of Jacob, and Jacob has two dreams 
that foretell of his future greatness. And those dreams are kind of interesting. The first one is like, um, he sees a bunch of bundles of grain and he sees his uh, brother's grain bowing down to his bundle of grain and he tells him about it and they get upset. And then he has another dream where it's like um, the sun, the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to him. And um, he revealed these uh, dreams to his brothers and even his uh, that even and even his parents would bow down to him and his brothers became jealous and they they plotted against him. And eventually, you know, they wanted to actually murder him. But I, th I believe it was his brother Reuben, correct? That was like, no, 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 no. Let's not kill him, but we'll throw him in a ditch, right? Was it was mm -hmm. it Reuben? I okay, yeah, I believe Ruben. so. All right, so it was Reuben. Um, good on Reuben, at least you know. Um, was he really pop quiz? Was he the same one that slept with his dad's concubine? No, that was uh, oh yeah yeah uh, yes, that was Reuben. So that was Reuben. I <laughs> I think so. I wanted to I, say I, it was I, I don't don't quote me on that. <laughs> okay, okay. I th I All believe right. so. But um, I apologize to to any any descendants of Reuben if that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so um so Reuben bails him out and says no, instead of murdering him, let's just put him in this ditch and they take this fancy robe that his father gave him, the the robe of many colors and they sold him to as a slave to a group of Ishmaelite traders, which is kind of a flashback to when Sarah offered Hagar to Abraham um, to have a child because they hadn't had a child yet, and they birthed Ishmael. Eventually, they sent him um, Ishmael and Hagar out of the camp, and so it looks like we have some descendants here, um, Ishmaelite traders who uh, buy him for, I think, I think it was 20 pieces of silver, not even 30. And um, they take him to Egypt. And so basically when Jacob hears about this, it says that Jacob tore his robe. And mm -hmm. I, I was curious, why uh, Why did he do that? And does it have any kind of like significant meaning? Yeah, so in ancient, in basically just ancient times in general, uh, tearing your robe was a sign of grief or that something horrible had just happened to you. Uh, and basically... What we don't understand today as, as 21st century Americans is the value of clothing. So everything was, was harder to do in, ancient, in the ancient world, okay? So if you wanted to build a house, you had to go and you had to build that by hand with an axe, chopping down trees, right? Processing that lumber mm -hmm. by hand. By Ooh. hand with, you know, you're, you're, Tools, you're literally yeah. shaving off with a, with a blade, right? So everything's difficult. So if you want to make clothing, how do you make clothing? Well, they'd have to go shave a sheep. They'd have to then take that sheep's wool. They'd have to process it in some kind of a loom. I don't know exactly how that worked, you know, in, in Abraham's time, right? So they had to process that into a garment, and then that garment would have to last them for years. You wouldn't get a new shirt every month. You know, you couldn't go buy a 20-pack of white T-shirts at walmart for five bucks what i do <laughs> <laughs> right and so when you tore your shirt that was a sign of huge grief and it was something that would stay with you for most people you're going to go and you're going to mend that shirt you're going to mend that whatever it is that you were wearing that coat and you're going to see that scar on your clothing and other people are going to see that scar on your clothing for for years this is something that I had I just kind of started thinking about so I'm not I haven't read this anywhere but I you know like I said the clothing was so valuable that you wouldn't have thrown it away you would have repaired it and so 
it's almost it's like just short of actually harming yourself uh because number one you're you're putting at risk your uh ability to stay warm so that's a very very big risk is is freezing to death in these times during the winter you know the the weather makes a huge difference in your life and so for all these reasons it's a it's a very big deal when someone's so grief stricken they they rip their uh their robes they just yeah what, what, what do you think would kind of be a modern equivalent austin um um okay so if clothes were super important to them like and you didn't really buy one very often i'd say maybe like a car or like a computer i imagine just taking like a sledgehammer to like an f-150 just beating <laughs> the windshield up and just i'm so yeah. mad or yep. like um you find out that one of your loved ones is sick and so you just like beat your computer up with yep. the hammer or like or you get a bat you, you get a you get a horrible message on your phone and you just chuck it you know you're just that grief stricken yeah. like you're you're so overcome with emotion that you're not thinking rationally and so you do something that's going to jeopardize something or or be it's going to cost you something later and so that's that's what you'll you so what you'll see in the old testament more so than the new testament are examples of people in terrible situations that end up ripping their clothes or tearing their clothes. So that's kind of the the context there. Um, you know, just to get, to kind of get back into the the story a little bit. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about Abraham, Isaac, and now we're talking about the family of Jacob. And so Jacob has uh, work. He what he did? Did we did we go over what he did for his wives at all? Um, no, Leah and Rebecca, no. What, what yeah. happened with that? Yeah, so so Jacob goes and he has to work for his wives. He agrees with his uh, father-in-law, Laban, I believe. And, he, yeah, he um, he agrees to work for him for seven years to get his daughter's hand in marriage. And so he wants the daughter, Rachel. He's infatuated with her. Apparently she's beautiful or there's something about her that he just adores. So he works for seven years marries someone and ultimately he was tricked and it ends up being her sister uh leah and so there's a whole complicated story he ends up working another seven years gets rachel as his wife and so now he has a family okay and his wives aren't actually uh i i think no what it is is leah ends up having the first sons so she's like got like four, four. Or yeah something like that yeah so she ends up having the first four herself rachel has no children and what you know especially to men today what we might uh, might not understand is uh, a child was incredibly important to women at the time that was what women did is they created new human beings and so that was such a valuable thing for women to be able to do that's how they brought honor to themselves and so a woman who didn't have a son was seen as a major dishonor. And so Rachel ends up having uh, like no a sons. judgment almost? You think? It, 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 can, it can be seen by some women as a judgment from God. And so you'll see the first couple names of... Uh, actually, Pastor my Pastor Bob was talking about this last night at our Wednesday night service. We're going through the Old Testament. And he was talking about how... Uh, what is it? Ru uh, Reuben... And uh, the first two, first two born from Leah are named in Hebrew. Their names mean God sees and God hears. And so God saw her plight and gave her a son. God heard her prayers and gave her a son is the meaning behind those names. And so um, we miss out. Uh, yeah, stuff. 
<laughs> we because we we don't translate it. We leave that name as the you know, it would be nice if we had both. We had the original like name of it, but then also what the translation means. So there's you know, you should be reading your Bible with uh different uh, source books and and different materials to help you understand meanings behind things. But uh back to the back to the point. So um uh, you know, it, it, it's, it, 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 uh, the, like I said, uh, women's value came from having children. And so that's something that we probably don't understand as well today because we have so little value to children as we were talking about earlier. Um, but that's, that's what it was. And so, and so Rachel was very dishonored because she wasn't having children. And so she ends up putting up uh, her handmaid. To have children for her which is she's not the first person in this family to do that as we we talked about that started with abraham and sarah when she wasn't able to have a child she put up her handmaid hagar and that's where ishmael comes from and so now we see in jacob's family that he's having the same kind of thing happen where his wives are having their handmaids have children for him so through these four women we end up with the 12 tribes of judah and so we've gone over those tribes before, uh, listed out a couple of the important ones. Levi, uh, or where the priests come from. Uh, Judah is where the kings come from, or two of the more important ones that you'll hear about. But they're all, they're all important, of course, and, and part of the nation of Israel. And none of them are lost. A lot of people think that at some point there were lost tribes. Uh, there are members of every single tribe that are alive today, and they know that they are a member of that tribe. So just to kind of clear up some misconceptions there. Okay. Uh, did you have anything else from chapter 37? Because you, you were talking about the dream. Uh, did uh, do, let, Let's read here real quick about the dream. Let me yeah, see. Yeah, the dreams are cool. Yeah, let's see if that's... Is that in this chapter? I think so. Um, Joseph... Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, here it is, cha chapter 37, verse 9. So, uh, 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 oh, he had two dreams. Oh, it's so, five. It's five. Yeah, five is the first dream. So I'll, I'll read that for us. Uh, chapter 37, verse 5. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field trying, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and eleven stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father, as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams he meant. Kinda, he kind of knew <laughs> there's something there. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, you know, he's I don't he's not the youngest. Uh, he might be the youngest at this time when this... No, I guess everyone's born. He's like the second youngest. And so out of 12 people, you have this little pipsqueak coming up to you and saying that he's going to be the you know he's having these crazy dreams and he's just this little pipsqueak that's having these crazy dreams right like can you imagine being joseph and i'd be i'd want to tell my brothers and and everybody those dreams too those are pretty crazy <laughs> you can tell um throughout reading his whole story that he has this level of 
innocent righteousness where he he's i don't know like even even just reporting back to his dad about what his brothers were doing um a lot of times it gets kind of like portrayed as he's like a tattletale but i mean do you want him to not say anything do you want him to like see this injustice or see something going wrong like and then not say anything it's almost like an issue not to say something so it's like he has this like innocent righteousness about him that's mm -hmm. really interesting well and um you know one of the things is uh what a lot of people do is they go and they look for types of christ in the old testament and in, in different places in in the bible what does it and, mean like christ types yeah and so um a type of christ is something that is a a, a type of christ is someone who reflects different attributes of Jesus Christ prophetically in advance of Jesus coming. And so okay. prophecy in Hebrew was a little bit more comp complicated than our Western ideas of prophecy. When we, when we think of a prophecy, we think of some witch that's reading a tarot card and you get a definite thing that will happen at a specific point in the future. What right. prophecy is for Hebrews and, and for the Jews is more of a, a pattern. So, when when there is a prophecy about someone there you're going to see shadows of that prophecy happen at different points in time and so prophetically god used the story of joseph's life which i believe actually happened i i believe every single one of these events took place as it's described in a true sense whatever that means exactly and so he used joseph's life and the recording of that life as a picture of what Jesus Christ's life would look like and what would happen to him. And so you see that Jesus is betrayed by his brothers. Okay, but not not directly by his brothers, but he's betrayed by the Jews. And what you what we miss as Americans is all Jewish people are brothers. They see themselves as more of a family than really an ethnicity or a like people group. And so the Bible tells the, the Jews to treat everyone like they're a brother they call them the bible calls israelites brothers a lot and so what we see is in the beginning of this family with these 12 tribes we see that the 12 tribe the other 11 tribes uh sell joseph into slavery and forsake one of their brothers that's a picture of what happens to christ later on where the country of israel forsakes jesus and sacrifices him on a cross and so uh, you can see different pictures of Jesus's life in different people throughout the Old Testament. And so and the Joseph, same, same person reconciles them. And yeah, that's interesting. Exactly. So it's not 100 percent perfect, you know, of, uh, uh, you know, it's not exactly the same story as Jesus Christ or Jesus wouldn't have needed to be born. Right. But it, it's like I said, it's a it's got different story elements that help you to understand what Jesus is going to be when he comes. And so we can see that in Joseph's story. So that that's a that's another thing that you, I, I just wanted to hone in on something you just said. If if this, then Jesus wouldn't have had to be born. And so why why was it necessary for Jesus to be born or like to God for God himself to come into the world? Why was that necessary? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So the the number one thing is that every single person has sinned. So we have all done something that is that goes against God's will for our lives. We've done something that God doesn't want us to do and, in fact, has commanded us not to do. Lie, cheat, 
steal. If you've done any of that one single time, you're now a sinner. Just like if you go and you murder someone, you're now a murderer. It's just in our human brains. You'll we... lie before five years old. Yes. <laughs> there's there's a stage of human development where that's like, it's weird if you don't start lying. <laughs> okay. That's how ingrained into our personalities it is that we are horribly evil sinners. The first second that we have the cognitive ability to do it, we start doing it, right? Um, And so every single person has done something that would keep them from being anywhere near a holy God. So God is completely 100% perfect without blemish. And so if you were to be in God's presence, it, it just couldn't exist. You would, you would just cease your existence. And so because of the fact that there is a completely just God and we have been you know, we've done things against that just God. He can't have us in right relationship with him. And so what he needed to do was send someone down as a sacrifice for us. So he needed what we needed to, in order to be able to be with God, God had to be both perfectly just, but then he's also a perfectly merciful God. He, he loves us. He cares about us and wants to have mercy on us. And so instead of us being able to work towards our salvation like every other religion believes every other religion tells you that you're going to have to work you're going to have to pray you're going to have to to do all of these things for god raise money you know do these great things for god in order for him to let you into heaven that's just not the case there is nothing that we could do to wash ourselves of the stain of the sin that we have and so god had to send his son down to die for us uh, he lives a perfect life died for us as a penal substitutionary atonement for that sin that we committed. So I'm I'm sure I'm getting a little bit too complicated here. Uh, if you if you have anything to add for or the, for the Christianese, um, that just meant um, he paid our debt instead of us having to pay our debt. And so um, I'm I'm supposed to die for my sins because I've mm -hmm. sinned. And Jesus died for my sins and and your sins too. If you want to yep. put your faith in Jesus, so ba basically, um, penal substitutionary atonement is kind of like he's he atoned for my sins in my stead. And so that's what's so beautiful about Jesus is the God who demands justice came down and let it be served upon him, which is so nice. It's such a beautiful thing. <laughs> Amen. Yep. Uh, and so back to the types discussion. So Joseph is a type of Jesus, in my opinion, and a lot of other pastors have done sermons on that as well. Um, and so what we see is that ultimately he ends up saving Israel. And by Israel, we, I mean the family. And so, but the other thing is uh, through the, the, the trials and tribulations that Joseph went through, all of the known world was saved at that time. So at that time, the whole world in, in the Bible was basically Egypt. Uh, that's what they were talking about when they said the world came. You know, like, they're not talking about the actual whole earth in some in some instances. And so through... The biggest civilization at that point where everybody was. Exactly. Was <laughs> and so because of Joseph and his faithfulness and the, and the dream interpretation that he did and, and all of that, because God gave him those those dreams and those interpretations... Because of that, the entire world got saved is kind of the picture that's being painted. Uh, again, Egypt isn't the whole world, and I'm not saying that, that it is, but that's kind of the picture that's being painted where 
the whole nation of Israel is saved through the 12 members of the tribes, the 12 children of Israel. And then the rest of the world, as pictured in Egypt, is saved by Joseph through uh, the visions that God gave him. And so that's a picture of Jesus's life in advance. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. So let's continue on into chapter 38. Um, this is about one of Joseph's brothers. Um, this one's interesting. Um, it kind of focuses around Judah and Tamar. And so Judah married a Canaanite woman and had three sons. Um, his eldest son, Ur, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. Um, ba basically, long story short, is he was... Wait, let me try to... Okay. Anyway, he was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and and he dies. Um, according to custom, Judah's second son, Onan, is supposed to father a child with his brother's widow, Tamar. But he refuses and also dies um, because he was down to engage with one aspect of procreation, but not the other. And so he kind of attempts like a birth control and it was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And I'm pretty sure that's why um, he was killed by the Lord. Um, I'm not sure what your take is on that. That's just kind of what I gathered from reading the text, but... Um, Judah promises Tamar, his youngest son, um, his name is Shelah, uh, but uh, he doesn't fulfill his promise. And Tamar disguises herself um, as a prostitute and becomes pregnant by Judah. When Judah learns of uh, her pregnancy, he, he kind of recognizes um, his wrongdoing. And um, th this, this story was a little bit complicated. And um, all I kind of understand is that she was promised a husband and it doesn't happen. And it seems like she tricks Judah into sleeping with her. And I'm not, so it's like, I, I really, I think there's something going on here. I just don't understand what, what's all going on here. So uh, what what's going on in this story and like, why is it important? Yeah. So one of the things that we don't, again, understand as modern Western people is how important people's uh, generations are how important your lineage is and so what we see here is that these people valued lineage and name very highly and one of the things that that is a jewish custom is the uh the next of kin if so if someone if a if a man marries a woman and then that man dies the next of kin for that man has the right to go and marry that woman and take over that man's household. Was it for the sole purpose of providing a child like an heir? Was that so, like the reasoning? So the the reason, so what you would do as part of this custom is is the woman you would have that woman as your wife, and she if she produces a a male child for you, that child actually takes on the the name of the other the other Husband man who was deceased mm -hmm, the deceased man oh, interesting. and so his lineage continues on so nice. the, the, that's actually cool because i yeah I'm, I'm like uh just kind of tangent really quick um my my grandfather asked me to carry on his name which is my mom's dad and mm -hmm. my mom and dad never got married and so my dad is one of like six brothers and, and there's just so many men in that family and so basically um 
I'm taking on my mom's dad's last name so that his last name and his lineage kind of continues on. So this, I, I can kind of mm -hmm. relate a little bit yeah. in, in that sense, right? Yeah, very, very similar. And so, you know, your grandfather valued his lineage and his last name. And it's cool that you can, you can have that pass through you and pass that on, right, to your children. And so the other the the real reason why this was set up was to to protect the woman i believe so you had to give men an incentive why they they would do it right so they get the land and the property and and probably some amount of prestige but the reason it's being done is because the women need women needed to be taken care of and protected and so this was a way to ensure that that happened it was a way where every every woman every israelite woman knew that there was a a, a a backup in case this man died and that happens frequently there's wars and famines and just so many things like we have death and, and disease in our country today of course obviously everyone dies but it was just such at the doorstep every single you know every month had it's had a different <laughs> potential calamity that could kill somebody you know flooding one yeah. month drought the next month famine disease pestilence like bugs locusts like they're just Crazy, crazy things happen in the ancient world in such a frequent rate compared to what happens today where a lot of people basically end up dying of old age and disease, right, in our, in our yeah. country today, not starvation or, you know, axe wounds. <laughs> Most people don't die from, from being, you know, from, you know, property disputes these days, though there are some. So, uh, yeah, uh... Uh, where where are we at? Where you're asking so questions? Oh yeah yeah. So then she has the the baby with Judah. Mm -hmm. Why why is that significant? Like, was she kind of not connected to anybody, and then is now because she has this baby with Judah? Is Judah like a big player in like the tribes of Israel or something? Uh, so Judah is ultimately one of in the line of uh Christ. So Christ comes from the line <laughs> from the tribe of <laughs> Judah. Uh, I'm not sure. He might go through Tamar, actually. I'm not sure. It's uh, interesting that because um, Tamar and Bathsheba get added to the to the line of Christ in an interesting ways. Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So, really, really interesting. Yeah. Well, and it, uh, you know, it it's interesting that God can use these Gentile women and put them into the the lineage of Christ. And it's it's almost like a way of including us in the lineage of Christ. So of course, as a Gentile, uh, I, I'm not in the same. I, I'm not in the lineage of Christ at all. I'm not a Jew in any way, shape, or form. But despite the fact that these women weren't Jews, they were able to come into the into the tribe of Judah and were able to be grafted into it, even though that's not what God had originally prescribed for them. Does that make sense? So, okay. like, yeah, it, it's a it's, again, it's an image of what Christ did for us. Christ, yeah, uh, the yeah, yeah. the the church is grafted into the the tree of faith with with Abraham and and the rest of his family of the Jews and all the other believers that exist outside of Abraham, but but are in his tree. Okay, we're grafted in this in a similar way to those women. We're grafted into the Jewish society, and they got salvation from that. Okay. They we're, they we're weren't left by marriage, <laughs> exactly, and and yeah, that that's that's true to a certain extent. That's why we're called the bride of Christ. So exactly, and and that's what we see here is just that 
God, God has provisions to take care of his people. That's, that's ultimately what, what that is supposed to tell us is that, and, and the other thing is, you know, it might seem wrong for, for her to do what she did. And in some ways it is, but she had been wronged by the other, by, uh, you know, by Judah, right? Despite that. And so he had promised her his youngest son and then had reneged on that promise. And so when we see the fulfillment of that, it's what should have happened, just not the right way. What did he do to, to, to not fulfill that? Did he just said, like, psych? He, Never mind. So, so he, he had promised her his youngest son and they kept dying. And oh, so... Well, I mean, it's not his fault, but... It's yeah. not his fault, but... And you can understand why he wouldn't want to keep sacrificing his sons to her essentially is what it seemed like, there's like something going on here that's i'm not claiming that's what was happening i'm not, I'm not claiming I she know, was I know. she was harming them but that's essentially what it seemed like you know how we in our society or something it, well exactly just think about in our society we have these women that are seen as black widows have you heard that term no i don't know uh so there a woman that's described as a black widow is a younger woman who goes and marries an older man and then he mysteriously dies and she takes on his fortune Oh, interesting. Um, okay. And then she goes and does it again, and then goes and does it again, right? That That is a stereotype of woman today. Like, there's TV shows and stuff that use it. Okay. And so that, I'm, I would assume that that's a stereotype that goes all the way back to this, you know, to this story where she was seen as, like, kind of a curse, probably. Oh, okay. Uh, So... Yeah, it's Alrighty. a. I, again, I highly, highly recommend that 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 our listeners and and watchers go and and read these this story themselves. It's uh about the last ten chapters of Genesis is the story of Joseph, and I just love it. I I love this story. It's last so thirteen. Yeah. Last thirteen, yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, I just love it. It's a it's a great story of uh, it just it's just a great story. <laughs> it is. It's really um, good. He seems like a cool person. Yeah. Okay, so we took this this side tour over with with Judah and Tamar in chapter thirty eight. Did you have anything else in chapter thirty eight you wanted to talk about? Or are we ready to move on to? No, we can to move 39. on. I just wanted to. I I what I learned from that was she she because so she waited on the side of the road, disguised herself as a prostitute, slept with Judah, and became grafted into the line of Jesus Christ. Super crazy. That's that's, uh, that's pretty. Awesome. I I think. Let me let me look up the line of Jesus Christ. Uh, let me look that up. I want to make sure she's actually in the line, but it's she's at the very least she's in the the tribe of Ju uh, the she's in the tribe of Judah, and then she's say it doesn't make sense. So I um I unfortunately need to go to the bathroom. Can I take this time to go? Yeah. yeah. All right. See. You. Okay, so while he's using the restroom, let me switch over our feed to me. Uh, I'm going to look up the lineage of Christ, and we will see if Tamar is in it. Okay, oh, Jesus Family Tree. I don't know who this is or anything about this website, so I'm not endorsing it in any way, shape, or form, but... Uh, nope, that won't be easy for anybody to see. Okay. But Tamar is in Jesus' genealogy, it appears. Okay. Yes. So Tamar is in the genealogy of Christ. And that is, uh, again, that's, that's important because, like I was saying, it's God's way of providing for us and showing us that he will take care of us in any of the situations that comes about in our lives. 
Now, as Christians, we don't always believe that Jesus will keep us alive right now. This life, this body, isn't the ultimate reality. Ultimately, what Christianity teaches is that there's a reality that's above and beyond this one that exists in dimensions that we can't even comprehend. And that's funny enough what science is starting to teach us as well. And so what what the Bible teaches is that after uh, the end of time, at the that there will be a time where we get new bodies from uh, Christ and we will be able to live like Christ. All so, right. Uh... Yep. Hey, Austin, I was just looking up the genealogy of Jesus and it does look like Tamar is in the genealogy of Jesus. So that's that's why this story uh, was told, I would assume, uh, is because ultimately Jesus Christ would come out of that line. So that's what we, uh, that's what we see. Yeah, I um, it's it's again kind of similar how um, Bathsheba um got into that line as well. Um, uh, right, is move. it ba- is it Bathsheba? Because Bathsheba was a, a a Jew a Jewess. I believe you're thinking of. Is, I'm, is it... No, I'm saying um because she eventually becomes the wife of David and Jesus becomes. The, oh, um, oh, okay, yeah, 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 gotcha. And then she has Solomon, and then isn't Jesus in the line of Solomon or something like that? Or... Yes, you are correct. Uh, I, I, what I, what I thought you were saying is there's another instance in the old Testament, uh, where a woman is saved by this. So the person who ends up marrying the woman in the situation, it's called a kinsman redeemer. Uh, if you've ever heard that term before, is that like the one that marries the widow? Yes. So the person who marries a widow is called a kinsman redeemer. And the reason they use that word is because kinsman is just a fancy word for like brother or close relative. Uh, It just means your closest relative and redeemer. What they're doing is they are redeeming that wife and redeeming that property. And they are going to provide, hopefully that woman is to provide a son to continue the male line of, uh, to redeem that male line. So that's where that term kind of comes from. If you ever hear kinsman redeemer, it shows up in your Bible a couple times in the Old Testament. Uh, specifically, a, a good book to read if you're interested in kinsman redeemers and in more of this kind of a story would be Ruth. Uh, that that is a book. It's only four chapters, and it's a it's a good story that kind of explains this whole process a little bit better. And one of the books okay. that's that a lot of people probably haven't read out of the because most people haven't read the Old Testament, so. I know, like, isn't, like, Ruth, like, David's great-grandma? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Boaz, Boaz and Ruth. Yep, I believe so. Um, all right, so let's, we're gonna move right on into chapter 39. And this is the chapter where we get introduced to Potiphar and the whole situation with his wife. And so, basically, Joseph gets sold to the captain or someone in charge of the prison right and so uh, an officer of of the of of pharaoh and and also the 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 prison and so god blesses joseph and he gains favor in potiphar's eyes and makes him kind of in charge of the steward of all of his stuff and so um potiphar's wife tries to seduce joseph in a series of attempts but he ultimately refuses her advances and what ends up happening one day is she uh, the potiphar's gone and then she 
don't know if she like forces herself onto him or something like that, but she go- grabs him essentially. And he in uh, a fight or flight mode goes, okay, run. And then he just runs. And so in this exchange, uh, she keeps onto his shirt and he's like, all right. And then it just, it, it comes <laughs> off. And then he, he just books it out of there. She immediately starts screaming and mm-hmm. screaming. And then when people show up, she falsely accuses Joseph of raping her. And so this is another interesting thing because I was gonna I'm gonna ask you a, a question here, but Joseph is, you know, unjustly subsequently thrown in prison. And so in this account, um, you know, in one of the things uh, in the definitions of love that you find in Ephesians is we're supposed to seek understanding to my I think that's in uh, in the definition of love. But anyway, so zero people kind of come up to Joseph and kind of want to hear anything from him. And so uh, he, he didn't get to report anything about the incident, especially being somebody of such high regard. You'd think that would, you know, uh, being in charge of this guy's entire estate, you'd think he'd get some kind of, you know, something to say about it. But um, this is definitely tricky. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely know if my wife came and said something to me, I would just, you know, believe her, you know. So what yep. should be done in this situation? Was Potiphar right to accept the testimony of his wife in this situation? So uh, one thing, again, a, a difference between our society today and ancient the ancient world is that we, we don't understand that there is a difference between classes of people, okay? So in Egyptian society and in most societies, there were people who were citizens and were, were full-blooded, you know, Egyptians. There were people that were somewhere in between, and then there were slaves. And so the lowest people on this totem pole, the last person you would ever take any word from is a slave. And it makes sense to a certain extent. If you have people who are enslaved, obviously they're going to be complaining all the time. Obviously they're going to be making up lies and things to get out of punishment. They're going to be making up lies to, to, to get, you know, their masters in trouble with people. Like the fact that a slave would tell a lie, it's like, you know, do you, is like, it's like breathing. You know, they, they would say a slave lying is like a slave breathing is essentially the same thing. Right. They're just doing it all the time. (laughs) Um, and so that's number one. You you just would never, ever, a, a slave's testimony just wouldn't even count in court, more than likely. Okay? Uh, it would be like, it would be like if you brought a cow to court and wanted to submit <clears throat> the cow's testimony. It would be how they saw bringing up a slave's testimony. It's just so far-fetched to even listen to the, somebody in that position. It's interesting that, like, uh, well, well, yeah, he's a slave because he's sold. So yep. he, he's just a very important slave with a lot he, of responsibility. <laughs> yeah, and so you, you, even in the South, as horrible as slavery was here, like the version of slavery that we have today is far worse than... Not today. Obviously, we don't have slavery today. <laughs> Let me restate that. The version of slavery that we have in America's history is the worst version of slavery imaginable. So that's kind of what we see as our baseline for slavery. That's That's not what slavery was in the ancient world but back then it was like if i broke your very expensive thing and i just had no funds to pay it back uh, unfortunately the law says that i have to become your slave until i pay off what i owe you and so you just became indentured servants if you just couldn't mm-hmm. pay back debts yes and so that's just how it was back then it wasn't like it wasn't like 
like how it gets portrayed and um, unfortunately well okay there's there's two things to that so what you described would be israelite versions of slavery the slavery that god is talking about in the old testament oh. Okay. Oh, okay. That that's what God is referring to as slavery when when He's okay with it in the Old Testament, and by okay with it, I mean He accepts it as a practice and doesn't say it's evil. And, I mean, because you have to release it. them on the seventh year. They only they're only yes. slaves for six years. So and <laughs> and and that was uh, because they're all brothers, and so it was a way to oh. pay off debts. Uh, oh. But because they're all brothers, at some point you you pay off your debt to your brother, and it gets gets forgiven. But yeah. So it even says too, like if um, I'm not sure if this has to do with Hebrew slaves, but it said like if you strike your slave and blind an eye, or if you strike your slave and knock a tooth out, they get to be released on behalf of mm -hmm. the tooth and the eye. Yep. So there was a lot of like, um, you uh, don't mess with your slaves. Like there was a whole like just just you know <laughs> treat them right. <laughs> and then yep. other other on the other coin, it was like if you're a slave, you know serve ser uh serve with like. Uh, integrity and like um just be righteous and and work honestly i think unfortunately like i think that's what paul says later on in the epistles and stuff like if if you have a master work work well to represent christ and stuff like that yeah and uh again if you're interested in this uh, a book to check out it's literally like one chapter i think it's, it's philemon and so the the oh. letter of philemon was paul writing to philemon a slave master who had uh who who had a slave run away from him and convert to Christ. And so this slave master was also a Christian as well. And what Paul was doing is is he was actually pleading that the slave master release the slave that ran away to Paul. And so that's an interesting little story to read there. Well, it's interesting that a Paul isn't saying that slavery is evil and you should release him because slavery is evil and wrong. He's pleading with him to release him based on the fact that it's kind and just. It's not even that he converted to Christ, but that it's it's a kind and it's a kind thing to do. And Paul needs this person, so there's there's kind of two reasons for it. So that's again, it's a little letter to go check out uh, if you're interested in seeing. I, kinda... I did know. Uh, I I thought it was called uh, Philemon or something like that, but <laughs> it's like it's really short. It's really mm -hmm. really short. Yeah, so you can read a whole book in about five to ten minutes if you want to want to go feel good about yourself and how good you are at reading the bible <laughs> go tell yeah. all your friends i read the bible i read a, a book of the bible in five minutes <laughs> but uh um so yeah what, what we see is that slaves a slave's testimony just wouldn't be heard at all it just isn't even a thing and then the other the other thing is let's look at our modern society and how we would deal with uh with this same situation uh, we, we just recently had a, a thing a couple years back called Me Too. Remember the Me Too situations that people um, got into? Where I heard about it. I didn't really uh, I didn't really listen to a whole lot of stuff about it. I kind of understand yeah. the premise, but go ahead. We, we, yeah, we don't need to get into it. I think most people understand what it is. Women comp making accusations, and we should just believe all women. That was kind of the point of the Me Too movement. And so especially, like you said, husbands and wives you're just going to default to believing your wife over basically anybody else. And, 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 you know, so that's the other, the other problem that Joseph had is the optics were horrible. He ran out of her room naked. Right. So it looked like oh. he was trying to do something. So like, even if he did have anything to say, it's still not backed up. It's then the question is, so how did you get naked? <laughs> 
right? Oh, and I don't even know what he should have done in this situation. Should he have ran to the doorstep and started screaming? Like, I well, don't know what he should have done. So, ultimately, this whole situation was set up by God. It, it was set up oh. by God to further uh, the, the story of Joseph and to put Joseph in the place that he needed to be in order to to save all of Egypt and to save his family. That's... That's what we're supposed to, to see. Pharaoh's prison, right, or something like that. E exactly. So he is in prison, uh, and it's the same prison where two other people that work for Pharaoh ultimately end up, and we'll see that in in the future chapters. Yeah, that's coming up, right? Yeah, right yeah. So, All right. Uh, we'll get so right into that, I guess. Yeah. Ultimately, I guess we should. Um, um, our, our wives are in a place of honor, and so, like, I guess we should definitely just take their testimony for what it is. Because, like, well, as a husband, too, if some if some questionable thing happened, you'd want your wife to believe you, right? So it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't believe that we should act the same way that Potiphar act, acted. So if you look at him, he was in a Gentile society that had a bunch of evil and, and wrong things that were, were part of it. And so this isn't the story isn't to say that Potiphar did everything right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's not supposed to come out looking looking good in this. You know, him believing his wife wasn't necessarily the right thing to do here. It's what needed to happen for the story to be furthered the way that it was. But I don't think we should look we shouldn't be making our decisions based off of what part of Potiphar did and he didn't do things correctly. It's just understandable what happened. It's understandable that a that a man believes his wife and trusts his wife over other people, but there's situations where you shouldn't do that. I think this is an example of that. You should. I think where you should draw the line is you shouldn't ignore evidence. Like, um, yeah. I don't know. Well, like, yeah. Well, if and the I'm other obviously thing... guilty of a crime, and I'm lying to my wife, and I'm like, no, I didn't do it. Like, I think it's unjust of her to look at some overwhelming evidence and and be like, yeah, sure. Well, well, and the other thing is you you also it, it, it's also a warning to people that you should know who your wife is, right? Potiphar should have oh, known that, that his even, wife was like that. That's why I like the Bible is like you could read the same book over and over and over again. <laughs> There's so many layers to this. It's mm -hmm. so it's really crazy. Yeah. Right. And and so yeah, like you should know your wife. <laughs> he should have known that that his wife was was trying to sleep around and and you know you should know what's going on they're in your own household. They're also in Egypt. That's like a thing. Like they're 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 just really sexually um, messed up in Egypt. Probably. There's yeah. a lot of, yeah. So. There's a lot of weird stories that come out of Egypt with that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um. All right, let's move on over. We've got now we're going into chapter forty. And so Joseph, inevitably, or, uh, following the events of chapter 39, Potiphar throws Joseph into Pharaoh's prison, I'm assuming. And so while in this prison, Joseph meets Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. And just really quick, what's a cupbearer? Like, what? I don't know. What yeah. That, is that like the poison guy who tests the wine and drinks yes, it first? Like, exactly. Oh, okay. So, so, yes. <laughs> so the number one job of the cupbearer was to literally just have the cup and be responsible for it. So, like, you had to put a lot of trust into this person, okay? Because you were trusting them that they weren't going to be the ones poisoning your drink. And there could oh, be, you know, they and could so. Do it. Dang. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, of course, and you know, and it's their responsibility to bear it. That's why they're burying it because they're protecting it from being poisoned. So, on top of them being capable of poisoning it, they also have, their job is to protect 
it from being poisoned and, and to know that it's not, you know, uh, right. And so that that's the cupbearer's job. And then the, they also would take, uh, I believe they would taste the food as well. Uh, that sort of thing. Do you happen to know what food and drink was being poisoned with in medieval times like this and just like old, old, old times like that? Not specifically. Uh, the same kinds of stuff we get poisoned with now. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I would imagine. Uh, and, you know, you look at like, uh, what is it? Is it Aristotle who died uh, of hemlock? He ate hemlock or drank hemlock. So there's there's always what, been what's different. Hemlock? I'm not. I'm not even it's like a plant. It's like a plant. I think he made it into like a tea that he drank that killed him. Oh wow! That's I believe. Oh, I guess you could just okay. You could just take poisonous plants and herbs and just yeah, exactly. Make a little concoction. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Yep. So we've got to continue. All right. So um, Joseph meets Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker. Who are also imprisoned. Um, both of them have dreams, and Joseph interprets them accurately. And it's funny. Um, uh, so he interprets the first dream um, of the cupbearer, and basically he's like, "Yeah, you're gonna be restored to your position. Pharaoh's gonna like take you out of jail, and you're gonna be restored to your position." Baker kind of like sees this, and he's like, "All right, all right, all right I'll tell you about my <laughs> dream," and tells he tells him about his dream. And then uh, Joseph's like, well, you are actually going to be executed. And it's un- it's unfortunately like it's like he's like, OK, I want um, I want to know what my dream has to say, too. And it's like bad news. And he ends up actually dying, too. So it's uh, <laughs> um, he-, he tells the cupbearer that he'll be restored to his position, but the baker will be executed. Joseph asks the cupbearer to remember him and help him get out of prison. But the cupbearer eventually just forgets about him so once he ends up getting out of prison the cupbearer just totally forgets can you can you imagine can you imagine this you had a dream this random guy in prison interprets the dream and then it comes true and you just forget (laughs) yeah and you're just like sick thanks i'll see you later but, but like he 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 later on eventually goes oh yeah there was this yeah. guy but so it's just it eventually comes out but I, for for me it's interesting to see and and I recommend everybody look at the Bible this way this is one of the lenses you should look through it in is what are the things that they're forgetting okay that's a big deal right if you'd think you would remember someone if you had a dream someone interpreted it and got it right I'd remember that. But then on top of that, like it comes true, the other guy ends up dying, like, and you just Everything forget is, about this guy. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you nice. know, and so it, it's interesting. Like you see the same thing later on with the the Jews leaving uh, Egypt. So right now we're we're at the story where the Jews enter Egypt as a family, and and then four hundred years later in Exodus they're going to leave as a nation, and what we see there is. They go out, they're in the, they're, they just, all the whole entire nation, every single man, woman, and child literally walked through a miracle where the the waters parted. Before that, they saw waters the turning into blood. the ground and mm-hmm. dried it. Yeah, they they had seen the, the ten plagues of, of, of Egypt, Egypt, right, that, that God yeah. put onto Egypt. They had seen the Passover. They saw all of these crazy miracles, okay? Literally just the most insane things you could ever possibly imagine. The cloud by okay. day and pillar of fire they're, by night. They're literally yeah. following a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so they get out and they're, and Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments from God. And they start worshipping a, a golden bull. 
They they what have he took too long. He didn't come yes. down in a timely manner. So basically, like... yeah, he took too long, <laughs> and they felt like he got like he had abandoned them. Okay, they literally just saw God like moving water, God doing the most crazy miracles, and they forgot, and they they just immediately started worshiping idols. Like yeah, for for all... every other. I was going to say, in every other week, they were also saying, like, oh, are we going to die in the wilderness? Are you going <laughs> to give us water? And then, like, they'd be cool. And then, like, another week later, oh, we're going to die. In the... Yeah, they just kept forgetting. It's <laughs> I, And so my, my point is, I just want people to be aware of the things that we're capable of forgetting. Or, like, to the atheists that say that you would need some kind, that they would need some kind of evidence or they want God to show up and appear before them. Okay, anybody that's saying that, the Bible proves that that's just not even a thing, okay? He did that, and they didn't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jesus Christ came down, lived a life, lived a perfect life in front of everybody. There's written records of it better than any human being in history, okay? And you still don't believe it. So even if he came down and, and appeared before you and did a miracle in front of you, it's unlikely that you would believe in Jesus Christ even then. And so well if you didn't have uh picks there is no proof, you know what I mean? So <laughs> what picks or it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, so if there's not like uh, at this point yeah. in the age that we're at, if you don't have video at testimony or evidence, then we really don't want to touch it cuz like that's just how we uh want our information now. We just want to be able to like view it and absorb it and think about it and stuff like that. So if somebody appeared to you, like if Jesus literally appeared to you and you were not recording and you try to convey this to other people, they just still wouldn't believe you. Even <laughs> it's yeah. Yep. And so, you know, I just I, I bring that up because it's very easy for people to think that we don't have enough evidence for the Bible or we don't have enough evidence for Jesus or for all of these things. And, and my point is, what would be good enough evidence? Uh, it, it, look at the Bible. Look at the predictions that it made. Look at the prophecies that it has. Look at the sum total of everything that's in it. And it's perfect. And, and right there for you to go read, and you still don't believe it. Why would I believe that, that even if somebody came down in front of you, that that would make a difference, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like... Um... Oh, God, the story of Lazarus when he's like, well, at least let me go back and tell my family um, <laughs> that uh, and warn them about this, uh, how bad it is over here. And he's like, well, no, because, you know, Moses and the prophets wrote about it. And if they're not going to listen to Moses and the prophets, then they're not going to listen to you. And exactly. So, <laughs> yes. It's, it's pretty nuts. Yeah. Yep. That's exactly my point. All right. Sorry for that little uh, side jag there. Oh, no, it's, um, it's good. It, it's It's good. <laughs> All right, Perfect. so let's see where we're at. Um, Baker will be executed. Joseph asks the cupbearer to remember him and get out of prison, but the cupbearer forgets about him. And so this is really interesting. Um, Joseph, uh, I wanted to ask you about this because it's kind of like the same with Daniel. Um, Joseph's whole attitude towards interpreting dreams seemed to be like, uh, well, interpreting dreams is God's business. So tell me what your dream is. Almost mm -hmm. kind of implying like, um, well, God does that and I'm with him. So tell me what it is. And then without batting an eye, as soon as they told him what the dream was, he's was just like, oh, yeah, so this is what it means. And so um, my question here is, like, how did he know how to do that? And, like, it's kind of like I, 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 on an earlier episode, you were like, this could have been passed down from um, family stuff. And I'm almost like, how did he, like, understand how to interpret dream, interpret a dream like that? Like, mm -hmm. um, yeah. where would he have gotten that knowledge and stuff? Yeah. So you know if we want to look at the the family that he's from i mean he's his 
grandfather is Abraham or great grandfather is Abraham. <laughs> right. Okay. And so that's a man that who literally was communing with and walking with God in ways that, that we don't understand. And I guess, so let, let me restate that. So we, we have a closeness with, with God and with, with Jesus Christ through the Holy spirit that nobody in the old Testament had except at fleeting moments. So like, it's, it talks about how God's spirit was with David when he was king at certain points, and then it left him at different points, and he felt dejected because of it. Because of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made, we now have the Holy Spirit. And so we can, we can have that closeness and that intimacy with God uh, whenever, whenever we want. And not whenever we want, we have it all the time. And we aren't going to lose that because of our, our sin or anything like that. But... It, the if you look at the the family that Joseph has come from, they have been the most connected to God of anybody since like Noah. Okay, it basically okay. goes Adam and Eve, the two most connected to God people there ever were, and that until we're all in heaven, the the most you could possibly be connected to God ever. Right, like that's that's Adam and Eve. They were the closest. They walked with him. They were created directly by him. Uh, and so they're the closest next would be like Noah, Noah. Uh, next would be everybody else that existed before the flood. But then the next closest to us would be like Noah, where he got commanded by God to do something very specific, somehow knew exactly what to do and how to build it. Even though there hadn't been ships before that point, definitely not like that. And so somehow he got these direct commands and, and it, to be honest, it's actually pretty mysterious. We don't exactly know how Abraham received the word from God to know that he needed to go to Canaan. It just says God told Abraham and he did it, right? And that could mean that it came to him in a dream. It could mean that God came down and actually talked to him and communed with him and interacted with him in a certain way. It could mean that uh, he just intuitively knew it. It could mean that there was a conversation going on in his head. It could mean that there was a, a burning bush that appeared before Abraham and God spoke out of the burning bush and Abraham spoke back to it. There, there's a whole host of different ways God could be communicating with people. Uh, and I don't know if there's any one way that God does it or if he kind of does it in a specific way to each person. Does that make sense? So like... Yeah. The burning bush, we see God communicating with Moses in a very physical location, right? That area was 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 holy ground. That area, the voice of God was coming from the burning bush. So that was how God talked to Moses there. Does he continue talking with Moses in that same way in you know through burning bushes throughout the desert? That's possible, but that's not recorded anywhere that I'm aware of. And so, okay. you know, I I think that God reaches out to us in a way that we will be able to hear him, however that is. So clearly God was interpreting these dreams for Joseph and communicating that to him somehow. That's, that's the most we can say. Yeah. Cause I know that, that I would, that's supported by like when Daniel's like, I don't know, but there's a God in heaven who reveals, you know, mysteries to men. Right. And so he knows how to interpret dreams and, but I think it's something like that. He acknowledges that it's not him. Yeah. When, like when, when he does it. So, and I think the, uh, one thing I wanted to say as well is that I, I think it also happens. It, it also occurs when, with your proximity to God, 
when you're doing the things that God has commanded you to do and you're drawing near and, 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 and you're close to closer to God, he's going to give you these sorts of things. So if you're faithfully praying as much as you should be, if you're fasting, if you're going to church and you're, if you're doing the things that God wants you to be doing and drawing closer to him, he's going to come closer to you and and you're you're going to meet and you're going to he's going to communicate with you in a deeper and more personal way the closer that you you go to him and the more faith that you have in him can you can you touch on fasting i'm really uneducated on just why like i'm still like i want to do it i'm just mm-hmm. i'm trying to understand like like why like what is the purpose because what i've gathered is like it's almost like showing god that like his word is more important than food but like uh is it like to experience God in a different way or like just kind of tell me more about fasting? You know, it's probably one of those things that I'm the the least knowledgeable about. Uh, but what <laughs> knowledge I, I do have, m- my guess, and again, this is just a guess, so I'm not trying to, you know, speak from the Bible here. But my guess is that when you deprive yourself of things, you become more aware of other things in your life. So that like... If you were to close your eyes, you're going to focus more on your hearing. You're going to focus more on your smell and your touch, right? So if you deprive yourself of one sense, it opens you up to getting more information from other senses. And so I think that's kind of what's happening on a spiritual level. When you deprive yourself of food, it opens you up to seeing how God has provided that food for you in the past uh, and how... You know, it's such a blessing that he hopefully will continue to, to provide it for you in the future. So that's one thing. And it just, you know, it, it, it's it's a huge part of your day. So preparing food, going and eating food, talking with people, all of that takes a lot of time in your day. And so literally yeah. just by cutting out meals, you're opening up an extra hour, two hours, three hours in your day where you can think about and care about God more. So those are just a couple things off the top of my head. Uh, it's just also something in the New Testament that we're commanded to do. We are commanded to approach certain things with prayer and fasting. You know, if 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 there is a that, that's just how God wants us to do it. It's just weird because like fasting instructions are just not there, so it's almost like a buried um, tradition thing. You know what I mean? Like I don't know how to define a fast, what the regulations are. Uh, it might not even be about that. It might just be about skipping meals. But am I so to fast for twenty four hours? Like this is what I don't know because it's like not. Yeah, fair. and I I like that. I'm very appreciative that the Bible doesn't just prescribe everything for us. Okay, it says that we need to do certain things, like fasting. But it, but it doesn't it doesn't prescribe exactly what a fast means. And so what the Jews would do uh, when they would fast is they would fast from evening until morning. And they'd fast from evening until evening. So at sunset, they'd stop eating. And then at sunset, the next day, they'd start eating. And so... So like only dinner. They're only eating dinner or something like that. No, they're not eating. They wouldn't eat anything for that 24-hour period. Oh. Okay. And so... No, I mean, like, so you eat dinner on Monday, and then you eat nothing until dinner on Tuesday, something like that? Kind of. I don't know if that's, I don't know if they had the same meal times that we do. Uh, yeah, okay. That's a that's a whole other topic, but our three square meals a day is not a biological necessity that we have. It's just something that our culture does, actually. Uh, so that's we only a, need enough calories to get through what we're trying to do, huh? 
Uh, it's hard to, I don't know. I don't know the actual right answer for what we need. I don't think very many people, if anybody, know exactly what we need. But it's not three meals. You're not supposed to eat in the morning, at noon, and at 6 p.m. That's not, like, biologically prescribed by our bodies. I, um, I know that in, like, Exodus, um, God's like, I'll have meat for you at in the evening, and I'll have bread for you in the morning. So there's probably at least two meals that you'll have, like, right? Mm -hmm. Something to eat at one point early and one point at late. You know what I mean? So I'm sure... His, yeah. I don't get hungry three times a day. It's usually twice. Like that's I'm pretty much where I'm at either. too. I don't eat yeah. breakfast either. <laughs> that's I'll so eat funny. like lunch before work, and then my tummy starts grumbling like six hours into my shift, <laughs> and then I'm like ready to eat again. But that's like kind of it, right? Yep, so. yep. Uh, and so yeah, I, I, it's it's nice that the Bible is open ended on like fasting, and so it's not saying you have to do two days of fasting when you have this problem or three days of fasting when you have this problem. It's open to you being able to to give to God what you can, and so if you start off and you start food? off, um, biblically, that's my understanding. I know that culturally today there are a lot of Christians that uh, fast from their cell phone or fast from social media or you know fast from the computer. They fast from modern conveniences it could be that those conveniences are more important in a postmodern sense than food like we value our car and our cell phone way more than like you know mcdonald's so so I, I don't disagree with you on that that is basically the the reasoning that people use at least that's my understanding so i'm not saying they're wrong but i i take the bible very seriously and when it says fast it means food okay oh, when it says okay. When it says to do something with prayer and fasting, it's not saying to give up your cell phone. Again, okay. that might be a good thing to do. And I'm not saying that God doesn't honor you giving up your cell phone to honor him. Okay? Does, does that make your sense? Heart and your yes. If you're trying to do something for him, he sees it. But to be accurate to fasting, mm -hmm. what you're saying biblically, it's always been food. Don't, don't, I wouldn't claim that I am doing something with prayer and fasting if I'm the one that just redefined what fasting is, right? That's, you just, you can't just redefine fasting to mean cell phone. It, it, you can't redefine fasting to mean anything other than food. That's what it meant. When the, when the author wrote that word down, fasting meant starving yourself and, and denying yourself of food. And so a baseline level one fast would be like 24 hours? Um, you know, I, I'm not going to put a number on it. Whatever I'm asking because I want to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> honestly, like skip a meal. That that could be a fast and to a certain okay. extent, right? So just work out the, for 24 hours. Exactly, you can. And you know, there is a there's a book that that I bought. I haven't read it yet. I don't even know where it is at this point. But it's a uh, uh, it's, it's on that uh, book, it's on that bookshelf. That's uh, it's right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh. So it, it, it that it, it describes how to do fasting and actually the like crazy people that end up doing the the ton of fasting there's a there are ways where you can fast up to like 30 and 40 days. Yeah, uh, I actually was listening to Paul Washer on this and he was saying when he goes into extended fasting he he like uh uh fills up on vegetables right before just a lot of vitamin rich things like he tries to be, eat as healthy as possible before he goes into like an extended fast 
because i was yeah. i was looking up content on this because i really wanted to know because like mm -hmm. fasting seems like because i i want to experience more things because i've been you know a christian for this is, i'm coming up on two years now or three years now uh this september so nice. it's like um i've done a lot of stuff and fasting is a box i want to check and because i want to experience why god wants us to do it because like if I'm over here fasting and I just feel connected, like I feel like more connected to God and stuff, then I'd be fasting all the time. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? So it's just, yeah. just one of those things, you know, I'm, I'm um, curious to see what that has to, what that'll bring. Yeah. I, if I were you and I've done this, I, I'd, I'd look into reasons why you would fast. So again, it's a lot of times it says to do something with prayer and fasting. I'd look up what that is. And, and uh, you know, I'd challenge everyone to you. Anybody can go, Again, not anybody. If you have some medical condition or there's something wrong with you, I, I apologize Most and I pray for you. But if you're a healthy individual <laughs> in the United States, you basically you can go a day without eating. Uh, I, uh, I can't imagine. Your physician before fasting. <laughs> um, you know, especially if you have any medical conditions. But and we're not doctors. Yeah. No, doctors. no, I'm not a doctor, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm not telling you to go do anything dangerous. I'm just saying I believe. I can't imagine a scenario where somebody can't go a single day without food. It might suck. You'll you'll be hungry all day, but it was a normal condition of people of human beings to go a day or two days without food a hundred years ago. Okay, like it's not been that long where we've been in our society where we've had a society like we have today where we have just such a crazy abundance. Just and hope the, that you have some cold, refreshing water if you're going to be fasting, man. Like, can mm -hmm. you even drink water if you're yeah, fasting? Yeah, yeah, Oh, you have to drink oh, okay. water. Yeah, yeah, you have to drink water. Because so, okay, you'd get really messed up if you were eating or drinking, huh? Yeah, so the – well, you die. The The general rule of thumb <laughs> is you can go about three minutes. And again, these are rough numbers, so that's not really true. But the way that I remember it is you can go about three minutes without air. You can go about three days without water. And you can go about three, uh, 30 days without food. Again, all wow. these are just approximate. Completely... Wow. Yeah. Crazy. 30 so, days. That's nuts. So, yeah, you, you the the skinniest person alive can go about 30 days with without eating if you do it right. Uh, a, a now, a individual could go a little bit longer because they have a lot of fat uh, in there. Or... Yes. Actually, there's like the, the really like rotund people, like the 400 pound, you know, human beings, like you can go a whole year without actually really eating. It's not good for you. You won't. You won't be happy about it. So but. I imagine when you when you get to where you should be weight wise and you start to go below that, that's when it starts to get kind of dangerous. But if you're kind of like a bigger individual, fasting ain't no thing to you, right? <laughs> yeah. It, again, I don't know about their heart conditions, and I don't know oh, about certain other things that might be oh, okay. affected by this. So again, talk to your the doctor, do research, stuff, yeah. go go look up how to do this right. There are prescriptions on how to do this properly. So don't do anything, you know, without without either consulting I'm, a physician I'm or, or doing your own research. And then yeah, maybe even like talking about uh, what we find to be like some good advice, like how to prepare for it, like you know. Uh, honestly, what uh what worked for me really well. So I've tried it a couple different ways. I haven't done it a lot, so don't don't take this as me being like superior or anything. Like I've done it a couple times, but nah, you're good. um. I just mean for our audience, like, I'm not trying to be, like, some high and mighty, uh, oh, I fast all the time and I'm a great Christian. No, I don't do it nearly enough. But the two ways that I've done it is I, I try to do it where I just, I eat normally the day before, I go to bed, and then I wake up and fast the next day. 
because as Americans, we see the day starting with the with the sun coming up. And so, you know, that's how I started fasting originally. And that really doesn't work very well for me. Just the way that that my body works, it, it's really hard for me to go that long without food. And it, it, it really like was difficult to do that one day. And, and you'll find that you get hungry <laughs> that first day, especially as an American that's eaten literally every single day of your life. You're not used to that feeling. And so you'll get hungry and it'll suck, but you can tough it out and get through one day pretty easily of what I just described. But what actually worked better for me was fasting from uh, from sundown to sundown. And so I would I would eat all of my normal meals the day before, start fasting at sundown, and then it would be easier for me to make it through the next day. Oh, because it was hard for me to fall asleep hungry. The way that... The way that I was doing it before, I was falling asleep hungry. So that was difficult for me. That, that makes so, sense. Just yeah. some things to think about. It's, it is not hard to just stop eating for a day. You don't really need to do a whole lot of planning, I don't believe. Again, unless you have medical conditions. You just literally don't do it. Like, Austin, knowing you personally, and the fact that I don't think you have any crazy medical conditions, I would personally advise you to just not eat. <laughs> Whenever you want, feel like you want to try fasting, literally I've just do it. I've accidentally forgotten to eat like for whole days. Like I've done mm -hmm. that. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like, a, why it... do I have this pounding headache? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a little different when you decide to do it because I've had days where I'll forget to eat for a while. But that, that's not that's, a problem, right? That's not a problem. <laughs> um, but when you decide to do it and your body didn't agree to it in advance, <laughs> that's it when it reminds you constantly. Yeah. It, and so I think, you know, the, the part of the reasons for the fast is so that you can focus on God more. The other part of the reason is, is because we're supposed to deny ourselves. And so that's a way where we can deny one of our body's uh, desires. And so, you know, obviously our desire for food is a good thing. We need to eat in order to live. But we have plenty of other desires that our body has. Evil sexual desires, evil greedy desires, evil all sorts of other desires. And if we can train ourselves to deny ourselves the desire to eat, right? If we can deny ourselves, even though we desire to eat, it's easier to then overcome those other desires that our wicked flesh has. I would, again, this is not, a, I can't point to a, a, a scripture that says those words that I just said, but that's, I mean, that's my it, understanding. Where you come close is where Paul's saying, I constantly bring my body into subjection and discipline. And like, you know what I mean? You get I, that's what I would say. Hey, apparently you can point to a specific scripture. That's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was just mentioning like I, I know I had read that before and that had been filed away. And that's where I was, you know, but but do your own research. Don't just take my word for things. Right. Like that. That's my belief is that as you deny yourself in one area, it gets easier to deny yourself in other areas. And so we're we're just supposed to bring our entire body under the su subjection of the control of our will, and then we're supposed to subject our will to, to God's. And so I think fasting fits into that process. And to be honest, I think the, the fact that we have a lack of fasting in the United States has led to a lot of the issues that we've had, right? We're impulsive, yeah. We're, we're very impulsive. We're, we're very whiny when we don't get things that we want, <laughs> right? when we don't like literally we have we have whole terms like hangry 
okay. We have people yeah. who get who can't control or themselves. That talk about don't talk to me until I have my coffee and stuff. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. Well, it, it, exactly. And so, you know, uh, like let's look at hangry That's for nice a moment. You know, if you're if you're a person who's uh who who is fasting, you're going to be able to control yourself better when you're hungry, right? Because you've put yourself into that situation knowingly. And so you can control yourself then. And so when you just get randomly hungry sometime, you can be like, oh, that's what it is. I shouldn't be angry right now. I can control myself better. But yeah. we just let ourselves do... We, we, we're just a society of freedom where we can do whatever we want. And we shouldn't have to control our our anger in that situation, right? There, um, I know... I don't know if it's just Catholics, but I remember hearing um, like a Catholic person say like there's two wills that we have we have like your body's primalistic will like like an almost like an animal and then you have like your conscious spiritual will like the things you want to do for god and like um it, it's like it, it's almost like you want to um you you want to be more in touch with your spiritual desires and fulfill those things and be more in control of your primal desires and like you know what i mean so it's like if you're constantly anytime your body is like jump and you're saying how high it's gonna be really hard when temptation comes <laughs> as opposed to the guy who's over here fasting all the time and it's like no 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 no, no. i tell you when i'm gonna eat like <laughs> do you know what yeah I mean? yeah so. well and and i think that to a certain extent that's right i wouldn't use those words that you the words that you just used i'd, I'd use our body's desires and our spirit's desires i think those those would be would be better words to use to describe that right like my body has wicked desires to overeat and get fat my body has wicked desires to be gratified sexually my you know i can have evil and wicked spiritual desires i can i can look to other gods other than god i can pray to things that aren't god right like there's all such sorts of things I can do in those two domains that would be wrong. And it gets easier to subject the other one to uh, you are you are better in control of each one when you learn how to fast. You're more in control of what your body desires. And then that can also help you be more in control of what your spirit and your heart desires as well, I believe. That sounds like pretty like good things i would, I would yeah excited to actually try that <laughs> yeah and uh you know uh maybe we'll have a, a day where we kind of coordinate coordinate one or something now we're supposed to we are supposed to do it in secret to the people that are around us because we're not supposed to go around going oh i'm so hungry i'm fasting i'm such a great christian right like that's the last thing you should be doing in your daily life but it might be something to kind of have fun to do as a as a group as you know faithful dialogues we take a day one time to try all try fasting or something so yeah that'd be cool something to think about and pray about of course so got to have some like a really big like in and out meal right before that like, <laughs> yeah for sure no 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 in and out <laughs> is how you end it so oh. <laughs> uh, one of the things that one of the things that i've noticed when i do fast when you break the fast that first meal back, oh my gosh, it is delicious. <laughs> like it could just imagine. be the normal cardboard so that you much. eat. Yeah, like it can just be what <laughs> that you can just double just slaps like extra no, hard. <laughs> seriously, seriously, because like you're really tasting all the fats and the salts, and and you know your palate's been cleansed for a whole day. Like there's a lot of reasons why you're primed to just really enjoy that meal when you get back. Yeah. And 
and again, you know, I'm just thinking of this right now at the top of my head, but that's that's kind of like how we're supposed to feel when we when we come to Christ, right? Like that's again not a hundred percent perfect picture of it, but it's it's that sort of thing. We're supposed to, you know, drink his his living water, eat the the living bread that he has for us, and and that's how it's supposed to taste is what a meal tastes like right after you break a fast. So you know, yeah. that's that's something that I've noticed. Uh, the, the crazy fasts where it gets up to like 30 days. Uh, so after I think it's like two or three days, if you don't eat, your body actually like starts shutting down different systems. Okay. No way. Mm -hmm. Okay. In a, in a, in a good way. I know that sounds bad, but it's actually a good thing. Uh, so right now, a lot of the energy that you have that your body is using instead of going towards your immune system, a lot of the energy is going towards the digestive system. And so oh. Your that's digestive system is constantly functioning and churning, and that's why you have stomach I live acid. Longer if I eat less <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Uh, it's look, I'm not making any guarantees. I, <laughs> I don't know. I, again, I haven't done any studying, but when that system shuts down, you then have more energy. Your body has more energy to put into repairing things. Uh, so, the, but the, so after three days, your body starts shutting stuff down, and so then if you've tried to eat something, you actually can die. So if you just start and like, like if you're fasting for 20 days and you just go to, you know, you just go to uh, McDonald's and grab a McDouble, you're going to die. <laughs> That's how Are you serious. Seriously. Yeah. This is so what do you have to do? Do you have to like eat like really small things to get uh, kind of back into it? basically yeah i think you start with like soups and stuff like stuff that's very like basically stuff that's already practically water and then that kind of like jump starts your system and, and gets you back into the digestive process i don't drinking milk i don't know i i don't i again i don't know what the there's a prescription again there's a book i think it's called god's fast or god's predetermined fast or god's prescription for fasting something like that um, I'm blown away that you could come out of a 20 day fast and die just eating normally like that. Yeah, like it's that'd be I, my temptation. Just the... slam it. Just go. <laughs> yep, but you actually have to like plan this stuff out. You can't just you can't just approach a 40 day fast willy nilly. It's it's a serious deal. So, was Jesus fasting in the wilderness when he went out to the wilderness? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was fasting. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. so that's that's why one of the temptations was to turn. Uh, rocks into bread because he was, yeah, that he was out of fast, yeah. <laughs> so, all right, let's move on into our next chapter. Um, let's see. So, um, the last thing we did was uh, Joseph interpreting the dreams in the prison, and the cupbearer forgot about him. All right, so we're moving on to chapter 41 now. And so, Pharaoh has dreams. And Joseph is going to be rising to power in this chapter. And Pharaoh has two troubling dreams that no one can seem to interpret. And the cupbearer remembers Joseph, finally. And I, <laughs> I, don't, I think it's like a two-year period that goes by or something like that. But uh, the cupbearer remembers yeah. him. Was that? I, I'm not sure that we actually know the time frame, but it sounds like it was a long time. Like multiple Some years. Some time in between, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the cupbearer remembers Joseph and tells Pharaoh about him. Hey, yeah. Like, Hey, I have, I remember I was, when I was in, oh yeah. He goes, when you, you were mad at us a couple years ago and um, you <laughs> sentenced us, uh, me and the baker. And then, uh, I remember him telling Pharaoh about this because yep. he, he, he accounts that. And then, um, yeah. And so, um, 
so he he kind of basically says, yeah, there's a guy. There was a guy in prison that interpreted our dreams, and they came true. And so um, the cupbearer remembers Joseph and tells Pharaoh about him. Joseph is brought before Pharaoh and correctly interprets the dreams. Um, Pharaoh's dreams. Um, just to quickly go through it, so he sees seven um, cow, like fat cows on along the Nile grazing, and then suddenly that they, they just come out of the Nile, and then suddenly um, like seven sickly cows come out of the Nile, and the sickly cows consume and eat the um, the healthy cows. And I can't remember the second dream, but it was basically the same. And um, Joseph tells him be, uh, when, when God gives you like two dreams that are basically the same, it's God saying he's going to do this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, he, he tells him that your um, that you have these seven years of prosperity and it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And the famine is going to be so intense. You're not even going to remember the good days. It'll be far from your memory. You're just going to remember how bad the famine is. And so basically um he correctly interprets those dreams revealing that egypt will experience seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine impressed by joseph's wisdom pharaoh appoints him as the overseer of egypt second only to pharaoh himself to prepare mm -hmm. for the coming famine and which was crazy is he puts a robe on him and he even gives him his signet ring if to my knowledge isn't that the ring that you like punch with the wax and it's like that's my signature and like you seal letters with that or something like that isn't yes that, what that is that, that's exactly what it is and so even just wearing the ring grants you certain rights and privileges so if you're just wearing it and you walk up and there's a soldier he's gonna respect you like you're the number two in the country right yeah that's insane. just for wearing that one specific ring okay and so in addition to letters and everything else it means he can literally just walk anywhere he would even be able to go as an emissary to another country and they would respect that ring like they're talking to pharaoh almost that's crazy so like and he can it grants him a ton of privileges just having that that one yeah. ring I thought it was crazy because he could write a letter and sign it, Pharaoh of Egypt. That's like so nuts. Like that Pharaoh liked him so much, or believe, mm -hmm. or like. Well, anyway, he just it, gave him it, that much trust. It, it's it's a it's a testament to this Pharaoh actually. So what what he really saw was that this man Joseph was so in tune with God that he was able to interpret these dreams, and specifically because of the kinds of dreams that they were, where it's predicting these this time of great abundance and then a time of great famine he had the foresight to trust that and to trust god to to hand over his kingdom to essentially god through joseph and to let him vicariously. rule vicariously and, and to prepare for these horrible times right if if it weren't for the dreams they would have just lived high on the hog for seven years and then died for and seven years perished. and then yeah. all perished but because of Joseph and because of God and, and what God did through Joseph, the Pharaoh recognized that and turned over his whole country to him, right? That's that's an incredible act. It's it's, it's on it's par with showing uh, his love for the world here too, mm -hmm. I would say. Yep. Yeah. Well and it, it's a it's a great work that God did, right? Like it wasn't just this Pharaoh that decided to do that, it was because of what God had prescribed for the situation right and so god set it up in such a way that that's what the pharaoh did and reacted it's uh, similar to what happened with jonah and uh, nineveh right so you see that in the story of jonah it's a four four chapter little book here in the old testament uh, talks about a man who gets eaten by a whale 
and then uh, <laughs> spit out a on the big fish. Yeah, a big, fish. <laughs> <laughs> big fish whale, large sea creature. Could have been a di- could have been a dinosaur for all we know. Um, and uh, gets ultimately spat out on the shore. But what he was doing and why he ended up why he needed to get eaten by the great fish was because he was running away from what God commanded him to do, and that was to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to them. And the reason he ran away is because he hated them because they were Jew murderers, and I don't blame him, but he was going against like, no, God. I'm not going to. Yeah. No, they can die. <laughs> they can Literally, that's that was his belief, is they can rot and die. Uh, so he ends up going to Nineveh, and then immediately he says, uh, 40 days and then destruction. That's all he's saying. He's just walking through the street saying, 40 days and then destruction. And somehow, miraculously, that's the whole... Took the whole city just repents of their sin and they turn away from their evil and turn towards God and they're spared they were, for a hundred years. Ripe. It's, mm-hmm. it's funny. Cause there's a lot of people that are um, in a pr- particular position in their life where you're like the seventh person to preach the gospel <laughs> and you're finally what they needed to just, all right. All right. <laughs> you know? Yep. And so, uh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, it's really cool the way that God works through the whole city in Nineveh, through the Pharaoh's heart here in Egypt, and how he uses that to, to bring restoration and, and abundance to people. And, and that's what God wants to do for everyone. If other cities had turned from their evil and wicked ways towards God, they would, they would have been spared, too, of a lot of the evil and hardships that they face. And the other thing is, even if you're not spared of the direct evil and hardships, you're given a way that you can handle it, right? You're given... It's not a burden that's too great for you to bear if you have Christ. Yeah, he provides uh, a way out, so to speak, is how mm-hmm. the scripture puts it. Um, and I so... That, I think Paul said it. But I can't yeah. Remember. And that's the that's the beautiful thing about the Bible. Uh, I, I've mentioned it before, I believe, on this podcast, where, where Jordan Peterson showed a, a, a picture of all of the different verses that are connected to each other throughout the book. So you'll have Revelation has a verse that calls back to a verse in Genesis. There's a verse in Genesis that's a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in Revelation. And the whole Bible is, it's one big, it's all one thing. It's, it's, it's one database of knowledge that God has given to us from outside of space and time. And so it is completely and perfectly connected together and, and, because of that, we can know that that's that that it's a message from God, and it's just it's so beautiful to see the the foreshadowing here in Genesis of what's going to happen in Revelation, and and to and to read Revelation after having read Genesis and see all the fulfillments of those prophecies and and everything that happens throughout the whole Bible. It's just so miraculous. Yeah, yeah. And when when I first became a Christian and I started to like pick up on these interconnected details. And I then realized that this was all happening between a massive stretch of time. I was like, I remember bringing this up to you and I was just like, there's just no way that like mm-hmm. people can concocted this religion. There's just no way like uh, God's intellect is massive. And you were like, you can't convince me a bunch of Jews in like Genesis named their kids <laughs> in the genealogy because like yeah, and didn't know or something like that. Like, yeah, it was, it was really funny. Yep, the um, the Jewish scribes recording Genesis would not have made up that there were, you know, that that genealogy, right? They just wouldn't have done it. it doesn't yeah. it, like and then for that for them to do that, how would they know that 4000 years later or whatever it is that Jesus would come along and right like doing exactly that, yeah. It, it just doesn't even make sense, 
You know, it does it, the conspiracy. It, like it's hard enough to keep a conspiracy up for fifty years, much less five thousand. <laughs> yeah. Right, like that's the claim. That's the claim that people have legitimately about Christianity is that it was some old be like no, the stuff that a we've seen that the archaeology in the Bible is 100% accurate. So they would have had to do 100% like the the legwork required to create the Bible without prophecy, without without God's inspiration is just insane, right? You would have you've had to have known about science, about archaeology, about medicine, about all of these different fields and domains, it, it knowledge that they just didn't even have to our to our understanding. Yeah, it's it's crazy because you see like sanitation standards being applied all the way back in like mm -hmm. um, Exodus, basically. Yep. Yeah, and so that at that point in history, um, I'm trying to think. At this point, it's just Egypt still, just being the major world power. I don't even think like. Um, big babylon has even hit the scene yet like yeah ba still just... mm -hmm. yeah exactly and so right now egypt is the in, in the story egypt is the the big political entity in the area there's other people obviously that live throughout the whole earth there's chinese at this point there's people living back where abraham came from in the city of ur and in the uh you know modern day iraq like, right, like those areas are all populated and they have civilizations. But like you said, the Babylonians hadn't or Babylon hadn't risen to power the way that it was going to yet. No, because like when you when you actually try to get into like uh, world history, the farthest back you really get is um, Mesopotamia, ancient Mesopotamia. Mm -hmm. And then out of that, you get all of those places, which is like, um, yeah, Ur and Iraq mm -hmm. and like, the Fertile Crescent, really. So and so <sighs> my belief is, is actually what the Bible teaches and and that is that this um that the first civilization essentially was the tower of babel okay so we talked about that first uh, city. mhm mm and so the first well that was and so that's like the first country really the first like civilization that was every human being on the planet was in this one area and so do you think like where was that like geographically i believe that's babylon i believe geographically oh. it's roughly where babylon was oh okay uh, I, was I could say, what if this is like pre-Egypt? Mm -hmm. uh, it is. It is pre-Egypt. That's what I'm claiming. This, this. If you oh. look, if you look at Genesis, right? Uh, it, it goes Noah, then the the Tower of Babel, right? And then Abraham. And so the Tower of Babel comes well before Egypt, and that's literally every human on Earth was in this area. This was not like. I'm trying. It's it's hard to uh, to describe because we have such a different view of history from our horrible public schools that have indoctrinated us into the ideology of evolution and and all of that nonsense. But the every single human being was in this city. Okay, this wasn't like most human beings. It wasn't like almost everybody. No, literally everybody was at the Tower of Babel. They were all working together, and One God language. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then that scattered abroad. And, and so from that one civilization came every other civilization to ever exist. And so the, 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 Bab the Babel civilization, I won't call it Babylon because that's a, that's a later, civil later, later thing. But the, the Tower of Babel civilization spawned Egypt, ultimately spawned Babylon later on, right? 
So okay. that's that's my belief on history is it lines up with what the Bible teaches, not with what Egyptology teaches or whatever other science teaches, because they've all been wrong. And the, the crazy thing about Egyptology specifically is they lie. So if you look at Egyptologists, <laughs> You're they just going for the jugular, they lie. Yeah, they, they, just straight, <laughs> they just straight up lie. They just straight up lie and obfuscate facts to make it so that Egypt was the first civilization. So the, the, uh, they're probably like the inheritors of the first civilization. Well, again, the first civilization I believe was Babel. Ah, well, yeah. So, uh, well, okay. Sorry. The first, sorry, sorry. Let me, let me rephrase. Uh, that's not even the, I, I, I'm totally wrong. Uh, That's not even the first civilization. That's the first post flood civilization. So the first civilizations would have existed pre flood. We just don't have a lineage from those civilizations because it all came through one man. Oh. In Noah. Okay. But the first civilizations would have been would have been then. There could have been a billion people on the planet when uh at when Noah when the flood came. I imagine there were. I imagine so, it was pretty populated and I imagine technology what's crazy is I was looking into like um um some like pyramid stuff and like hieroglyphic stuff mm-hmm. and it was like it almost seems like Egypt knew how to make physio electricity with like um with like the like the pyramid and different stuff like they had like these like electrolyte containers that it's uh, it's like yeah. the same concept like if you pour a bunch of soda on like a watermelon mm-hmm. and stab a charger yep. in it it'll like charge your cell phone they like figured this out like a long time ago and you can only imagine like I'm claiming this I don't really know yeah. I'm just so, regurgitating well uh, let me but... let me uh, I I actually um Interestingly enough, I have a little bit different take on this. So the pharaohs and the Egyptians that we see here in Genesis are not the, I don't believe, are the people that have lived there forever, okay? So my belief going forward is that the the modern pharaohs stumbled upon these pyramids and started using them as tombs, but I don't believe they're the ones to have built them. Uh, my my current belief, and again, this is not structured like um, tombs. No, they're, they're yeah, they're they're these. They've got they all these weird. Yeah, and, yeah. So so my again, this isn't anything based on on like hard facts. This is just a belief that I have. But my belief is that those were structures that were created before the flood. Yeah, me too. Because we were talking about that, and like basically the only thing that's going to survive are rocks. Mm-hmm. And so this brings into question Stonehenge. And yeah. like all the um the 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 Easter Island heads mm-hmm. and well and um, there's uh, uh Gobekli Tepe and like different things. If well, you know and there's about that. that's like a there, yep yeah good. Well, there's hundreds and thousands of of uh, pyramids and temples in South America that we haven't even uncovered. So that is yeah because they're yeah. all what, like satellite covered by canopies of like jungle and stuff like that. Or? Well, and the the crazy thing was what happened was Westerners the the Spanish landed in the Americas. And the diseases that they brought ended up wiping out those civilizations. The so there were, oh, wow. yeah, there were there were thou- there were hundreds, if not like a thousand different like temple city things that all had tens of thousands of people in them, and we see them all abandoned within like a hundred years. And then a hundred years after that, they're covered by the jungle so thick that you could walk up to a, there could literally be a pyramid right here. And you're looking at it, and it just looks like jungle. <laughs> okay, there's a pyramid that it's starts. Moss overgrown. Yes, it's like, it's yeah, so crazy. Yeah. Like, 
uh, the biggest, it's actually the biggest pyramid in the world is in Mexico, and we didn't know it because it was so covered up. We thought it was a mountain. <laughs> the, the Catholics came upon it uh, after it had been abandoned, and they thought it was a mountain, and they built a church on top of the pyramid, not knowing it was a pyramid. <laughs> so like so that and that was literally like 100 or 200 years after it had been abandoned probably because the jungle just grows over it so quickly so that that's really fascinating wow so i i think that there's a lot of things that we attribute to ancient like post-flood humans because the yeah, science does actually existing before mm -hmm. yeah. and that's mainly because science doesn't acknowledge that there was a flood <laughs> Even though there's just such crazy and ample evidence for Even it, if but it, what's crazy is like a lot of like cultures have like a flood type event in their history. So basically, like, everyone know. like it's yeah, it's not so even a lot. Ignore. It's like the it would be it would be shorter to list the cultures that don't have a flood myth than the ones that do. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like there's two or three, and the, and them even the ones that don't technically have a flood myth probably have like some kind of a disaster myth, you know, but they're like a desert people that don't know what a ocean is or something, you know, oh, like yeah. that's my guess as to the cultures that don't have a flood myth is they've lived in the desert so long that they forgot how to communicate what an ocean is and floods don't make sense. So they, because they're trans in this vast expanse of dry land. It's hard to think of a vast expanse of, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, there might be cultures that don't have a flood myth, but they probably have some kind of crazy cataclysmic event in their mythology. And so ultimately, I believe that that's what, what all religion is, is. It's a corruption of the original religion that God gave to Adam and Eve. And so they've just, you know, because of the fact that you don't, we don't live in the pre-flood world anymore, a lot of those mythologies start morphing and changing over time and get corrupted until you have until you're basically worshiping a demon <laughs> right like that's <laughs> yeah that's kind of what happens i believe uh so we're right up yeah. at two hours uh have we kind of finished up with chapter 41 or was there anything else in chapter 41 that you wanted to go Just my over question I, um, sorry what was your question you, you, you basically nailed it my question was it seems like pharaoh understands that if someone can interpret dreams they must have god with them mm -hmm. um what would you say uh, would you say that Pharaoh had a small faith in the Lord? Uh, because it seems clear that this Pharaoh seemed to deal kindly with Joseph and his people. Um, and his people, like, sorry, dealt kindly with Joseph and his people and was blessed while placing Joseph in command of his country. So mm -hmm. it almost seemed like Egypt prospered because of the decision that Pharaoh made to put Joseph, you know, like, so it, like, uh, if, if, w w go ahead. Go ahead. What's your yeah. take on that? <laughs> so definitely, uh, Pharaoh absolutely had to have some kind of faith in God based on his actions. So he he knew that that Joseph was claiming that he wasn't doing the interpretation and that God was doing it. And ultimately, what he did is he entrusted his country to a man who has direct access to God's you know will and to God's thoughts and. We all should be so lucky as to to put, you know, our country into into the hands of somebody that has a direct line of communication with God, right? So, I completely agree that this Pharaoh definitely did have some amount of a faith in God, and and in in definitely had a faith in Joseph, right? And because of that, because he handed his country over to Joseph, he was able to be saved, which is 
also what we're uh, again to to loop it back to what i said at the beginning of the episode this is a a a, a foreshadowing of what jesus christ is going to do okay and because you we give our world or our country over to jesus christ ultimately we're going to have a thousand years of prosperity and so when you when you give your uh country over when you're egypt and you give your country over to joseph you get through the famine and you and you use the seven years of good abundance to store up for the bad when jesus christ comes and he takes over you're getting a thousand years of pure awesomeness right like but you can see kind of how it's foreshadowing it's again not the same thing but joseph saves egypt jesus is going to save the world and provide it with just an abundance we couldn't ever possibly imagine yeah, and so I think next week we'll pick up uh, with the exchange with his brothers, and then we could probably move on to something else. Awesome. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll finish up uh, with the story of Joseph next week. I just, I love it so much. This is such a great story. I highly recommend everybody go read it. And if you have any questions about it, you read this story and you have some questions specifically about it, try to get those into us before next week, either in the comments of wherever it is that you're watching or... Uh, if you want to email me, faithfuldialogues at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah, and then also, I'm going to keep mentioning this, uh, comment a question in one of our videos to basically just enter the, the raffle for the free shirt giveaway. Um, yeah, just ask any any question that's wholehearted and respectful, and we'll answer it, and you will be entered into our t-shirt giveaway. Perfect. Also, uh, if you have any prayer requests that you would like us to pray for you about, or you just want everybody here that's watching and listening to, to pray about for you, let us know as well. I understand that sometimes that's a little bit too personal, but we also want to be there for our community. If there's somebody that needs uh, needs to, to reach out and feel like they're being heard or feel like they uh, that they're special, you know, uh, we all feel that way sometimes. So reach out to us. Yeah. We, uh, we care about you guys and want to see you uh, be prosperous Christians, right? That's the That's the goal. Yeah, put your faith in Jesus. Um, guarantee yourself eternal life. Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, Austin, for joining me again this week. Uh, for I guess not joining me for coming and doing faithful dialogues. It's it's a lot of fun doing this with you. Uh, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a while, so it's been it's been a great uh, privilege so far, and I'm excited to see where this goes. Yeah, me too. All right. And Ryan, where can we find your stuff? So you can find my stuff at AIIW.org, as it is written, is the name of the organization. And uh, yeah, do some cool stuff over there. I'm going to restart my political podcast that I was doing uh, coming up next week. Uh, I haven't nailed down exactly what days I'll be doing it, but uh, check that out over at AIIW.org. I like to do news combined and politics combined with Christianity uh, and just a little context I do have a degree in political science and so uh, I you know I just want to kind of spread that awareness and, and spread the word of Christ through the news all right and you can find me here on faithful dialogues and then the shirt that we will be the shirts that we'll be giving away uh, the Christ-centered clothing line is called Apostles Attic and you can find me down there at uh, apostlesattic.com Wonderful. Have a great week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye.